Let's pray. Lord, receive glory in your house this morning. You have in the testimonies, in the praise and worship, in the obedience uh, of the saints. That, Lord, this is your church. We pray, Lord, a strong anointing upon your church this morning. Regardless of how we came in here, today we would leave changed by the power of your word, the exhortation. We pray for your Holy Spirit to fall, that you would open up our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us as your church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I've been um, going through the book of First John, and there's so much there. Uh, the Apostle John and um, his last um, exhortation to the church that he loved so much. And um, he was about nine years old at the writing of this. And we know that his message was a message that um, is empowered by the love of God. It's the love of God. It's the goodness of God that causes us to repent. It's the goodness of God that keeps us in his palm of his hand, that it, he extends his love and his grace to us, and we respond in like manner. And that's what caused us to be here this morning. We could be doing a lot of different things, and yet we're here amongst fellow believers, and it's an evidence that we're born again. That's what the book of First John says. It's an evidence. If we desire to be amongst the saints, it's an evidence of our accepting his love and his forgiveness. And we've sensed his redemption and his power. And we're exhorted as we come together and we hear the experiences, the shared experiences, believers, about the things that God is doing currently, up-to-date things in our lives. And we give you glory, Lord, that answer prayers and do miraculous things. I thank you, Lord, for the patals that are going to be open, um, moving into their house this week. Amen. You know, when they asked Jesus, you know, about conditions in eternity, and he said to them, you err in your understanding of doctrine because God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. He said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in heaven, and God is the God of the living. That we, in this time right now, are separated by a veil, a thin veil, that, that separates us from eternity and the things that are eternal. But those things are more real than the things that we see here right now. And as we've experienced the forgiveness and the grace, and we've opened up our hearts to the Lord, this dimension that was formerly closed to us became very real to us. And we get to see beyond that veil, and we see things spiritually, and we hear things spiritually. You know, and the thing that, you know, Pastor Tosh was talking about, about, and even Pastor Tyler exhorting us this morning, about what has our attention, what are we listening to, who are we hearing, who are we hearing, are we listening to the Lord? I want to read this again, I read this um, a couple weeks ago, and this is in 1 John 5. And it says this, verse 1, 
Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So that's the first evidence, or one of the evidence, that um, we're born again, that we love Jesus. And if we love Jesus, it, who was begotten of God, he came into the world, this timeline of eternity, you know, his, uh, he interjected into this timeline of history, the eternal God, and we had a chance to encounter him, and we asked for him to come into our hearts, and we became born again. That was the beginning. But it was by no means the end. It was the beginning of a walk. It was the beginning of a journey. It was the beginning of uh, a process of forming and shaping and disciplining and um, getting us to the place where he wants us. And that process will not be done until we stand in eternity face to face with the Lord. It says in the Bible that we are not saved by our righteous acts, but we're saved by the righteous act of Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. But as we walk with him, he desires to shape us and mold us so that we become more like him. We're reflecting more accurately. I like I was reading my notes from Pastor Tasha's um, sermon last week, and it says, are we human being, beams, beams, like a beam of light, the, the, the light of Christ, is it beaming from us? Are we human beams? How do we get to the place where we're human beams? That when we fill up with this, we consume this word, that we get it into our heart, that we allow it to mold us and shape us and make us those people, it'll naturally exude from us. We will be different. We are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Getting back to 1 John, by this we know, verse 2 of chapter 5, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for whatever has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God the, the chapters that preceded that were talking about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, the claims of exclusivity, that if we make Jesus lesser than what he is, if we say that he was just a good teacher, if we say that he was just a, a prophet, if we say that he was not God in the flesh, then we minimize the truth of his word, and there's no power in that. We have to come to the conclusions that the apostles came to, that when they met with Christ, that the, after the resurrection, even Thomas, when he examined the Lord with his, his body that had been crucified and whipped, but the nail prints remained on his hand, and the, the wound on his side remained, and he says, feel me, Thomas. Give me something to eat. A spirit doesn't have a body of flesh. And he... Allowed, was allowed to examine the body of the resurrected Christ, the firstborn from the dead. He was the first one to resurrect and receive a glorified body, which we have been promised in his word that each one of us here, we have great and precious promises within the word of God that we walk by faith and receive those things by faith. When we're born again, when we ask the Lord Jesus Christ into our heart, that's where that seed is conceived. That seed is implanted within us, and a process begins. A process of, of, uh, uh, of molding 
and bringing us into that place where God is walking closer, that our spiritual ears are opened up at that point. When we read this word, it's no longer just a flat page, but it becomes dimensional, and things pop out at us, and we're like, wow, that's amazing. It's amazing. We know that this journey of faith, you know, we sang this morning warfare songs. This is a war. It's warfare. This is a battlefield, not a playground, this life. And when we've decided to walk with Christ, the forces of darkness have been arrayed against us, but we have many allies on our side. We have Jesus, number one, who's interceding for us. We have his Holy Spirit. We have the blood of the cross. We have God the Father. We have all these allies. We have the body of Christ. We have people praying for us that we are united in a cause. We're united in a fight against the forces of darkness. This should encourage us. This should give us strength. That's why we come to church. That's why we come to church to be encouraged in these truths. It says, whatever is born of God, verse 4 in chapter 5, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, this life is very fleeting. It's very short. Even if, you know, the Bible says that at, at, at the end of the spectrum, the largest end of the spectrum, maybe a man's life can consist of 120 years. Even 120 years in the face of eternity is just a little blip. It's a short period of time. But if we give our heart to the Lord, this is just the beginning. This is the beginning right here. This is how we're getting to know who he is and we have overcome already by the blood of Jesus. We're overcomers but it gives us the responsibility to hang in there and to walk with the Lord, be transformed, and not to give up when it gets tough. Let me read this uh, once again. It says, Overcomers are followers of Christ who successfully resist the power and the temptation of the world system. An overcomer is not sinless, but holds fast to faith in Christ until the end. He does not turn away when times get difficult or become apostate. Overcoming requires complete dependence upon God for direction, purpose, fulfillment, and strength to follow his plan for our lives. If you're walking with Christ, expect to be tested. If you're walking in faith, we have to have tests to test our faith. And it's, it's like going to the gym and it's strengthening our faith so that we have a taste of what God has done for us. We had that conception in our heart where we know, just like what uh, Patrice said, Steve comes up, this is real. And if you've been born again, you know this is real. There's something that took place that is real. But also in life, there's trials, there's setbacks, there's temptations, there's things that, these waves that just batter us as we go on. But the thing is, we have that seed within our hearts that we say, I know this is real, I'm going somewhere, I'm an overcomer because what Jesus has done for me, and I'm not going to quit because his spirit lives within my heart. Amen. Amen. That's what overcoming is. It's overcoming. We resist the power and the temptation of the world. In 1 John, it talks about overcoming the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
that these are the three allies, the three enemies that are allied against us. And yet God has given us the strength. He's given us the power to overcome these things. And grace is not an excuse to participate in bad behavior over and over and then go to the Lord and say, well, he'll always forgive me. And he is, and he will. But the power that he's given us when we come to him in brokenness, in humility, and in truth, and say, Lord, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And he can do a work in our heart, and he can transform us. That's the, that's the true definition of grace. Grace is an empowerment so that we can be all that Jesus said that we can be and do all the things that he said that we can do. Amen? Let me read this scripture. This is in 1 John again. There's some, I don't know what it is. There's power in 3.16 scriptures in the Bible. And this is a John, 1 John 3.16. It says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and we shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commands and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has given us commandment. If there's any commandment in the Bible that is at the apex, it's to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul, all our strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the great commandment. This is the thing that God is looking for. A love that manifests itself in works. A love that manifests itself. That there's something you can point to and say, that is the love of Jesus. That is the love of Jesus. You know, when we hear about the gospel of grace, and then we hear this word works affiliated with it, a lot of times we click out because we've heard messages that says it's all about grace. It's all about God's grace. It's all about what God has done for us. And that's true. That's the big, the big tamale right there is what God has done for us. But if God truly has done that, and we get a realization of that, what are we willing to do to love the Lord in return? That's what he's telling us right there. He says, I want you to love me that way that I have loved you and love people the way that you've received love from me. That's what God is requiring of his church. It's based upon love. It's based, but that love that we have should inspire works. And it's not works that, look what I did. And get all puffed up on that. No, this is about, I love you, Jesus, and I'm doing this because I love you. You know, when anybody goes in and misses the service because they're teaching the kids and they're like, I know that people, we like to congregate, we like to get together and be a part of the congregation. But if anybody goes into the kids church and says, because of the command of the Lord says, if you receive one of these little children, you've received me and you give of your time and your service and your gifting to implant in those children, it's an evidence of your love for Christ. 
when you come here early and set up chairs, when you work the soundboard, it's an evidence of love for Christ. When you participate in this praise and worship team and you give your time to practice and you're diligent about those things, it's an evidence of your love for Christ. It's something that you can point to and says, I know they love the Lord because look at this. That's the way it should be. Amen. I mean, there's, we're humans and we have our failings and we uh, screw up and not one of them is perfect, but also we extend grace in that also. We extend grace to one another because are you perfect? I'm not perfect. We all have our faults. We're all work in progress, but we're overcomers because of what Jesus Christ did. I want to, I love this scripture. It brings confidence to those who are wavering in their hearts because the devil is very good at bringing condemnation to us he's bringing he loves to bring condemnation and the lord does not bring condemnation to people he brings conviction he wants to mold us he wants to shape us by his word but he says i've already accepted you i've already called you by uh, your name i've already called you a son and daughter i've already seen you seated in heavenly places but I'm forming you into that person that is more Christ-like. I'm forming you into that person that is made for eternity, for tasks that I have picked out for everyone here in eternity, for rewards that will be rewarded for eternity. And we have a short time here. I remember sharing this story before and when I was in, um, I, man, I was really young. It might have even been kindergarten. But before I went to school, I watched this guy. Uh, he was an explorer. His name was Bill Burr. Burra. Did you guys ever watch that show on TV? He was like an explorer back in the day. It was a black and white show. And um, he would just go around the world and do you know, adventures and show places that he traveled to. And he was diving for sponges, or he went and watched these guys with the, with the diving bell on their head, and, you know, really back in the day kind of stuff, and they would be walking on the bottom of the ocean, and the thing that they're there for is they're picking up sponges, they were in the Mediterranean Ocean, and they were picking up sponges, and they were seeing how expensive, or how, you know, how much these sponges were worth. But he said they only can stay down on the bottom of the ocean for so long or else they would be subject to the bends. And I was just watching that and I'm thinking, wow, I would just be running from sponge to sponge to pick up as much, to make as much money as you could make while you're down there under the effects of the pressure. And in effect, as us as Christians, we have a short time to be here. Did anybody, I mean, people play video games and you, you see Mario and he's, he's going through the game and as he's jumping over this and he's overcoming that, he's collecting these coins and it's like, bring, bring, and it's all stacking up, stacking up. And these things are important. These things that we do, these, these treasures that we're accumulating are going to be meaningful for eternity. The things that we serve, where we serve the Lord from the right heart, it will be tried by fire. Did you do this for me? Did you do this to serve me? Did you do this because you love me? Did you do it for recognition? Did you do it because you wanted to be somebody? Or did you do it just because you love me? The things that are done because we love the Lord will be rewarded for eternity. Big reward. And I hear people say, man, I just want to I just want to make it to heaven. That's all. I'm not concerned about rewards. I heard that, you know, people have seen what's up there waiting for us. They go, no, you, you don't want to think that way. You want to have rewards in heaven. You want to use your life now service in service to the Lord because rewards will be established for eternity. Our position, our privilege, our, our, will be known by what we've done down here. It'll echo in eternity. 
what we've done for the Lord. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 it says but to him this is talking about salvation we have to get this separated works will be rewarded but we're not working for our salvation when we got born again that's when our name was listed in the Lamb's book of life but as we are in relationship with him the conviction and the promptings of the Holy Spirit to hear what he's telling us to do to give up this to do that these are the things that God is prompting us to do it's interesting. I'm going to talk about works. It's, it, this might surprise. It surprises us. Because we have an idea what works are. And then God has an idea what works are. And we have to reconcile the two. So that we're doing what God is telling us to do. Amen. And we get an understanding of what he wants from each one of us. But let me read this. This is about the, the, the gift of salvation. And the work of salvation that Christ did for us. That gained us entry into family. And now we can wash the dishes because we're family. You don't go to somebody's house, you know, your, your guests at somebody's house, so go wash the dishes. That would seem rude. But if we're family, we'll wash the dishes because I'm family. Amen? That's the same thing with Christ. It's like we're, we will do menial tasks in the house of the Lord because I'm family. I'm family with this. Amen? It goes, it says this in verse, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 5, it says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. We think that faith and, and the Christian experience is for only the good people. That's not true. The faith that we're talking about, that the grace of God that delivers to us, is for us in our failures. We don't work for it. We just look at it and say, I desperately need that. And God says, I confer it to you. Blessed is the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed is the man whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. That's the beginning right there. We come in, we have a realization that, man, on my record, my report card's not looking so good. Um, I need help here. And Jesus says, well, give me that card. And, and he marks off your C's and your D minuses. And he puts A, 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 A. Totally, you know, the best right there. That's salvation. We receive that report card from the Lord. But then he also says, okay, since that has been done for you, this is what I want from you now. I want you to live this life out. Manifest who I am amongst people, amongst the church, amongst the world. That's what God is looking for, for each one of us. This should motivate us. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ should be the motivating factor for the works that should be emanating from us. Amen? I want to go... Let me read this. This is from a, some um, notes that I had at home or from a um, commentary. It says, Christians ought to be like a good watch. All gold... Open face, well-regulated, dependable, and full of good works. A Christian ought to be like a good watch, a gold watch, pure. Pure is from the Lord. Open-faced, 
We shouldn't be duplicitous. duplicitous. We should be, the, what you see is what you get. Open-faced, well-regulated, dependable, filled with good works. That's what a Christian should reflect. Our lives should, should reflect those attributes by the grace of God. We're moving in that direction. I want to read um, in the book of Revelation, you know, that I thank you, Patrice, that you took that exhortation to read the book of Revelation because it does promise a blessing in there. And uh, book of Revelation chapter 2. And there's a report card here in this portion of scripture, actually chapters 2 and 3, that speaks about the church. The church is defined not as a building, but as a people. It's the living stones that have been called out of the world. We've been called out of the way the world is going, and that's what it says about overcoming the world. There's a certain way that the world is, and we used to walk in that way, and we used to do the things of the world, but now when the Lord had grabbed our heart and we got born again, we are going contrary to the things of the world. And the evidence, another evidence that it says that we are walking properly with the Lord, it says that the world hates you, know that it hated me, Jesus speaking, before it hated you. So it's also another evidence of that. But I want to read this letter to the church of Ephesus, which is the first church on enlisting here. It's interesting what the Lord has, and there's, a, there's, some, um, there's some commonalities to these letters. There's certain things where he says uh, to each one of them, he says to he who overcomes, to he who has ears to hear, I know you by your works. There's a commonality in this letter, but I want to read the first one. It says, to the angel, so this is in Revelation chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. So this is the first church on the list, and this is the things that he was saying to them. He says, I know your labor. I know your patience. I know that you cannot endure evil men. I know you cannot endure false apostles. I know that they bore the message of Christ's virgin birth, the only begotten. I know that you have not fainted. You have persevered. There's seven words of commendation, or these are the good things that the Lord was saying in their experience as they're walking. This portion of scripture, chapter 2, is according to the commentaries you read in the order of why this thing was laid out the way it is, I would say it is in line with the apostolic church, the first hundred years of the church history. And it kind of blows my mind that the rebuke comes right after that. The rebuke is, nevertheless I have this against you that you have left your first love. And you're thinking after all this, after all this, how could that be? But it's weary in doing the things of God when there's opposition, when there's a lot of opposition, when there's a lot of evil, these waves just batter, batter, batter against it, and the heart could tend to grow cold. And we have to resist that. We have to fight against that. Amen? That's part of the battle. That's part of the works 
When you think of works, you're thinking, well, let me do this and that and all these different things. But part of the works is standing firm in the face of the battering of the opposition because the devil wants to wear us down. Amen? It's interesting when you study this, when you go into this and you look at the commonality. I know you by your works. Not your confession of your mouth. I know you by what you do. That's how the Lord knows us. Because what we believe in our heart will manifest in our actions. Amen. 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 That's what he's saying right here. He says that I have eyes like a flame of fire. I can look right through you. I can see the motivation. Help us, Lord. Help me, Lord. It says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God. It's like, wow, that sounds like a contradiction. You say he loves me, but the fear of God. The fear of God is this, to say, this is his word. I better line up to his word or else I'm out of line. That's the fear of the proper fear of God is to take his word and take it as a correction. It says, man, Lord, help me with this. Help me to apply this in my life because I want to walk more accurately. I want to reflect. I want to hear a good, uh, well done, thou good and faithful service. Enter into the joy of the Lord from those things that were prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. These are the things that the Lord is looking for. It's contained within this letter. There's so much, and you can search in the Bible. You can go, and you can find these touch points of when Jesus was on the earth through the Word, because He is the Word, and you can confirm these things. That this is what the Lord is looking for in His church. You know, we're living in, like it was said up here, we're living in, in strange times, perilous times. You know, I saw a thing just as briefly this morning. There was a survey, and this was to the churches. And they said, what was the survey? And I don't know how accurate this thing is. Who knows? But they said, what is the accurate or the assessment of the body of Christ, the church? And it had Baptists, Catholics, Evangelicals, this. I didn't see, you know, Pentecostals on there. But they had all the listings of the different types of churches. That the things that we're seeing as far as the craziness in the weather. Did you guys see what's going on in Texas? The, the, the nuts weather. That's, I mean, this is every day. If you watch those guys, the two preachers on the internet. It says every day, every day, every day. This earth is just convulsing and bombarded by weird weather. Massive storms in Saudi Arabia. I mean, volcanoes going off. Earthquakes. We had like a string of five, seven point something earthquakes in the ring of fire recently. All these things are signs that the Bible says that the Lord is coming back. But they ask people in the church, do you believe these signs are a sign of the last days or of global warming? You want to know what the response with the church was mostly, according to this survey? Global warming. Thank you, Al Gore. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the, we should know better. We should know what this word says, that this is what it would look like before we are living in the last days. We want to make sure that our report card is in line with what those things that God is looking for. Amen? It was a serious rebu rebuke to the church of Ephesus. He says, if you guys don't repent of this sin, of you've gone away from your best love, your first love. He says, I will come upon you and take that candlestick that is the fire of the Holy Spirit within the individual churches. I'll take it and remove it from you. And it's like, whoa, that's serious. The first church, the apostolic church, that is in danger of losing the candlestick. And this is past history already. 
You know, this happened already. What's going on here? But there's things that we can learn in this so that we don't make the mistakes. You know the saying that says, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. We can look at these things. It says all the things and all the lessons in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, it says it was written for our admonition. It was writ- written to us so that we can get the heads up and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make the same mistake. I don't want to get to the very border of the promised land. It says, ah, there's giants. I don't want to go in there. And then wander in the wilderness for 40 years. We don't want to make those mistakes. Those things, those lessons were written so that we would have victory. That we would overcome. The word is Nike in the Greek. That we would have a decisive victory. Decisive victory. And that's what God promises to every one of these churches. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It goes on, chapter 7, or verse 7, I should say, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. If that were the only promise right there, But each church has a promise. It's a promise. It's a promise to the overcomers. If that were the only promise, that would be worthy of our full dedication. We know the story. We were talking, and Steve came by yesterday, and we were talking story, and we were talking about how in the Garden of Eden, that there was one rule, one commandment, that says, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the devil came into the scene and he stirred up a mess and he had the woman come over there and tempt, uh, or she was tempted. She ate the fruit, gave it to her husband, and it plunged us into the condition that we're at right now. But there's an interesting, that's, that, an interesting byproduct of that. It's really interesting where he said, you know, the devil said, he don't want you eating that because your eyes are going to be opened up and you will become as God's. And so that's always the temptation to do those things that God says not to do because he's holding out on you. And so, but on this one, he went ahead, they went ahead and did it. And all of a sudden their eyes are opened up and they realize, wow, we're naked now. And we have this new understanding, this new download within us. And the three of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit says, look what the man has done. He's become like one of us. And you think to yourself, what? God had the knowledge of good and evil. Now we have the responsibility of good and evil within us, but we don't have the strength to deal with that. We need God's help at this point. But it's something we entered into a different dimension with God at that point, on a different level. And it says in the Bible where the angels had fallen, the angels had, dis- had, had disobeyed God. And he says to the angels in the book of Hebrews, it says to the angels, God does not give aid to them for this transgression. But to the sons of Abraham, he gives his son so that we could be redeemed. We have fallen, we have made mistakes, we have screwed up, but God's grace is sufficient for each one of us here. And he gives us that chance to reunite in relationship because of his son, Jesus Christ. That is tremendously good news right there. Thank you, Lord. In closing, I want to go to Revelation 21. I want, I'll probably be exploring through these other churches and the different uh, things that are being said in there because it gives us an idea of where we need to put more effort into this, to put more dedication into this, 
to stop doing this, to pull back from that, so that we our report card, we get a chance to, to uh, uh, get this thing straightened out before we face the Lord face to face, because we will be judged. We're not being judged for salvation. Salvation has already been covered if we hold fast to the end. But we will be judged for rewards on what we have done, how we allowed this word to affect us. Amen? Chapter 21, it's the end of the book, it's the wrap-up, it's the new heaven and new earth, it's all the things that are coming, it's a glorious uh, eternity that's awaiting, and uh, let me just read from the top of 21, in closing it says, and now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. And I, John, the same John that we're reading his epistle, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will be, uh, be with his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. The former things have passed away. And then he said to uh, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for the words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the fountain of life, of water, uh, of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So there is the promise of the overcomer. And when we are in Christ Jesus and we're walking in obedience to him, we are that overcomer. But for the rest of the people who just look at this stuff and say, whatever, it doesn't really matter. That's the, what's subscribed. The wisdom of God, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. To assess this and say, man, that's true. Lord, give me the, give me the grace, give me the power to not be one of these outside the, the, the authority, outside of the walls of the new Jerusalem, outside in the darkness. I don't want that. We don't want that. We want to be those that were inheritors of everything. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.